Hello and welcome to episode 383 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. It's it's, before we get there. It's the Ricardo Lockett edition of the Pelton Cast. Is that right? Sure. Oh, you don't remember Locke's number? Not really. They specifically, this is not, we're not going to talk about the past on this podcast, at least the past (laughs) with regards to football, because we already, we already wrapped that up beautifully. I mean, we're going to talk about the past. We just, we're not going to recap last weekend's game. We only talk about the past. (laughs) But at halftime, they were honoring 10th anniversary of the Super Bowl winning team. And a reminder to me that I'm old. And KJ Wright was the one who spoke on behalf of the team. Yep. And he brought out Ricardo Lockett. He was the one that, uh, the only two players who spoke. Locke was the other one. Okay. That story had a beginning and a middle, but it didn't really have an end. And Ricardo Lockett speaking on behalf of the Super Bowl 48 winning yeah, champion, okay, Seattle cool. Seahawks, is not enough for you. Sorry. Well, we are coming to you from the home of the Super Bowl 48 champion. There we go. Seattle Seahawks. Low those almost ten years ago, and I mean things are things are going fine for the Seahawks. We don't need to have this negative negative uh, perspective about them. Not things not going as well for Seattle's baseball in nine. So, the takes are going to be interesting this week. Also, uh, Damian Lillard got traded. So what's <laughs> happening? Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Starting with. This week's fresh hop beer from our friends at Bellbreaker <sighs> Brewing. It is the homegrown fresh hop IPA. Here in Moxie, Washington, September means harvest. Coordinating with the barley maltster is the fruity herbal smells of fresh hops being cut and kilned, waved in our windows. Wow, that is much more of a tongue-twisting sentence than I expected. Now in our fourth season as barley farmers and 91 years after the first hops were planted on our family farm, we're proud to share with you this homegrown IPA. Featuring our homegrown hops and barley. Fresh, fresh from the fresh hop region of Washington. Oh, is, they've got more details on the, on the uh, bottle here. Featuring, let's see, uh, balanced and smooth with notes of grapefruit, pine, apricot, berry, and raisin. Raisin? I think that's what, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's either that or rosin. <laughs> the font is a little unclear. That would be baseball-themed, I suppose. All right, a toast this week. We start with congrats to Megan Rapino, who was given a farewell in her final game for the U.S. Women's National Team on Sunday in Chicago, a 2-0 win over Jamaica. Rapino finished her career with 203 caps, ranking 10th all-time in U.S. WNT goals with 63 and tied for third all-time with 73 assists. All right, I'm actually kind of surprised that Megan Rapino isn't higher. Uh, you know, I, I she didn't really score that much until she started taking penalties. I think for the the national team necessarily, but uh, you know, it was certainly a legendary national team career. The the winner of the the golden boot in the two thousand nineteen World Cup. Uh, you think all the way back to the two thousand eleven World Cup in Germany. How memorable her role was in that one. So, you know. We're, we're going to think of Megan Rapinoe first and foremost as a member of OL Reign, obviously, but uh, outside the Seattle area, certainly her legacy is going to be primarily about her work with USWNT. 
on the field, at least, obviously. A, a great legacy off it as well. All right, congrats to Ken Walker the third, who was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I am so shocked by this. <laughs> this information. I, no, I truly am, because we talked about Ken Walker on, on the podcast. It was like, he had a good game. Yeah. But it wasn't, to me, a extraordinarily standout game from him. It was like, it was a good game from Ken Walker. Right. He did finish uh, third in running back DR, according to the Formula Now on FTN, Fantasy.com, for the week, behind the Miami Dolphins duo of Raheem Mostert and Devon Chan. So, neither of them eligible for the AFC, or the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I guess, congrats to Ken Walker. I saw that information. I was like, oh. I, I think... Geno Smith had a better game. <laughs> he actually didn't rate that well in quick reads. I was kind of surprised. Really? He was like middle of the pack among quarterbacks. I, I believe in the second half he was 11 of 12. He That is that is correct okay. information. Ken Walker, the third, 18 carries, 97 yards, two touchdowns, also had three catches for 59 yards. On yeah, it was a good game. Yeah. All right, congrats to Rome Odunze, who was named the Pac-12 Special Teams Hello. Player of the Week after becoming the first UW player to return a punt for a touchdown since Aaron Fuller. Okay, Aaron Fuller. If you would have asked me who the last player was, you know I would have said Dante Pettis. Yes, but it turns out that Dante <laughs> Pettis it was a long time ago, now, 2016. I just I don't know how often we're returning punts for touchdowns. We're talking about the past already again. I mean, a lot more in college football. When it happens in the NFL, it's pretty shocking. In college football, especially against lower-level opponents, it's not that shocking. Like Cal. These are the lower level opponents we're talking about. (laughs) I don't know why I think that's funny. ACC opponents (laughs) like Cal. We're we're so on our high horse right now in every way. Dangerously. Single number one vote in the AP has us on the highest possible horse we could be on. Dangerously on our high horse, ready to be hoisted on our own petard. I'm not following too closely, but there is some conference realignment news bubbling. About the Pac-12 Mountain West relegation and promotion no, thing? No, 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 no. Oh, what? About the conferences that matter. Oh, okay. I, 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 <laughs> There's only two of them. I don't know if you're aware. We're in one of them. But uh, th- there's there's chatter around Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State announcing that they're leaving the ACC sometime very soon. Huh? Is yeah. that like this is like still message board level chatter or Reddit level chatter, or has it risen to national reporter level chatter? I, I don't know if it's quite there yet. But again, that's that's how these things come along, right? All this, everything that happened with the Pac-12 started at the level that that you're talking about—the message board level, the Reddit level. A lot and, of things that didn't happen started at that level too, but but the things that did, Dylan. So, but th- there's chatter about that, and I do wonder. Some of these teams are going to end up in the Big Ten. I would be very surprised, and that's all we care about now is the Big Ten and our hatred of the SEC, the only other conference that matters. But. <laughs> Uh, Bunny is going crazy over there. He loves the conference realignment talk. Anyway. I think the Bunny is still upset about the uh, anyway about the benches clearing. Anyway, yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, you lost your train of thought here. I think Florida State and North Carolina end up in the Big Ten. Okay, and that would be such an awesome conference basketball wise too. I uh, yes, yes, it would. I'd Clemson, I would be shocked 
if Clemson ended up in the Big Ten. Love the cross-country trip to Tallahassee for a conference game. You, you have thought... to, you just have to let this go. You have to let the idea of regionality in college football go. You have to divorce yourself. Well, my problem is not necessarily college football. We just beat an ACC team this weekend. (laughs) I'm aware. My problem is not necessarily with college football. It's that they still have not figured out to split that off from the other sports. Uh, Congrats to Noel Quinn, who signed a contract extension with the Storm, announced on Monday. The Storm also announced that Pookie Chapman will add assistant GM duties to her role as assistant coach. Chapman previously served as dual GM and head coach with both the Chicago Sky and Indiana Fever back before most teams like the Storm chose to separate those duties. They never once offered them to me while I worked at the Storm. (laughs) If we're pulling multiple duties, I was right there. Front desk slash assistant GM. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was literally in the front of the office. If that's not the front office, I don't know what it is. I that that is very technically true. Yeah. Th- these are facts. I was front office staff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Congrats to the Pelton Cast Fantasy Baseball Champs. There we go. The Ballard Shinglers and manager Mark Stewart. So. All sorts of Peltoncast fantasy sports wrapping up lately. That's really good for you, Mark Stewart. I'm so proud of you. Unfortunately, baseball is a horrible death march to the end, and I'm proud that you were able to sustain that and be the last one standing. Couldn't be me. My favorite part of that is you meant fantasy baseball, but you just said baseball, which maybe not wrong today. I didn't mean fantasy baseball. Okay, there you go. All right. Okay, it's time for, I promise this, I teased this. On Sunday's pod, recapping the weekend, which you should listen to if you haven't already. Not one, but two, the listener email. First, from the St. Louis listener, Noah Cohen. Just to clarify, St. Louis-style pizza is tavern-style pizza, just with a processed cheese product called... I should have looked up whether it's Provel or Provel. Uh, I assume it's Provel. Not, Not Provolone, or I don't know, maybe it is Provel. Not Provolone instead of mozzarella. It is disgusting. However, and this is a big however, one of the scions of the DeWitt family, which owns the Cardinals, spent some time in Seattle working at a Pagliacci. Wow! And copied the dough recipe for his own local franchise. Whoa! So we do have a pretty close approximation of Seattle's best pizza. Can you explain this to me again? Who was it that that spent time here? So the DeWitts are the family that owns the Cardinals. The DeWitt! <laughs> <laughs> the DeWitts apparently spent some time in Seattle working I thought it was Pagliacci. the Bush family that owned the Cardinals not, not anymore okay no. yeah. sad news sad news yeah. <laughs> okay so the DeWitt family who owned the Cardinals correct one of their children grandchildren one I, of the younger DeWitts I don't know what lived in Seattle relation ripped off Pagliacci pizza took it to the Midwest and made it ambiguous Midwest pizza I don't know if they made it ambiguous Midwest pizza but it's Pagliacci style pizza apparently wow so there you go. International. And tell me about Provol cheese. Um, I just know that apparently it's disgusting, according it's to disgusting. Noah. Disgusting. What is the difference between Provol cheese and the other type of cheese? I, I, okay. I, I mean, I, I can look at this on You're Wikipedia. You're incredibly but... unresearched on this. What were you doing today? You had nothing else to do. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, okay. It does, it does kind of look like provolone. Uh, particularly popular in St. Louis cuisine. It's a combination of cheddar, Swiss, and provolone. Huh has a low melting point and therefore has a gooey and almost buttery texture at room temperature. 
approval is rarely used out outside uh, elsewhere outside of St. Louis. So it's a tavern style, basically St. Louis pizza. So is a yeah. tavern style pizza, which, it's a which thin is thin cracker crust, thin cracker crust, sliced, you know, uh, into squares or other you know non square edged pieces on the edge mm-hmm. uh, instead of out from the center and. Yeah, but with that's the difference. What distinguishes it from tavern-style Chicago pizza, which okay. is made with traditional cheese? I, I've done some soul-searching on pizza. And A, I told you it's time for us to search for Seattle's second-best pizza. You said you wanted to put some parameters on there, as you're wont to do. You like to put parameters around things. I do. That is one of your favorite things to do. And I did some soul-searching, and I think to me— the two different ways that I like <laughs> because crust. Because of Provo's Meister content, it cannot be labeled as cheese in the U.S. <laughs> That's actually incredible. <laughs> this sounds great to me. I'm not going to lie. I would eat that cheese. I want to try it. I don't want to go to St. Louis, but I want to try it. Anyway, that's SEC country over there in St. Louis. <laughs> but the two types of pizza that are good are very, very thick crust, right? Pan okay. style, as much crust as you can humanly have. Or very, very thin crust. Anything in between is not the same. But you get the thin crust, and it's hard, the tavern style, and you crack the crust, and then fold the pizza over. That's an incredible moment right there. You f- you crack the crust on the... Where the, where the crust crust is hard, and then you just go, crack, and then you bend it, and it's it's two almost like two pieces, and then there's the crack in the middle, and you fold it over and eat it like that. I don't, I don't know if anyone is doing that with tavern-style pizza. I'm doing that, and it's excellent. I mean, first off, the slices of tavern-style pizza are pretty small. There's different. There's end pieces, not the, not the, yeah, those ones too. Okay. Not the strips. So I, I think those are the two best ways to deliver pizza. I do think it is time that we talk about Seattle's second best pizza. We will continue to monitor the listener feedback. You also know my idea to search for Seattle's best slice. Seattle's best slice? Yeah. At Pagliacci. Correct. Okay. Pit all the Pagliacci uh, slice bar offerings against each other. That sounds like some good spawn con. It does. <laughs> At the very least, we get to eat pizza. Exactly. Pizza is great. All right. This week's second email from the listener comes to us from Andy Galuska. Your oblique mention of peen in a trough on episode 382. <laughs> Love to oblique that's, that's how all emails should start. Trough. A peeing in a trough <laughs> reminded me. Well, at Bumbershoot, I stopped to pee in Memorial Stadium thanks to slamming three beers immediately before entering in the long way to get in. The soon-to-be-demolished Memorial Stadium has trough urinals. Are these the last urinal troughs in Seattle? The closed end of UW ones are gone. No new stadium is going to install them. Is this the end of the era? So I got to tell you, I feel like I have peed in a trough at T-Mobile Park. Am I wrong about this? Am I imagining this? In a trough? Yeah. I don't know. I went in there earlier this week, and there was not a trough. It was in... I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm hashtag trough gang. Like... <laughs> Pro trough take. Wow. I, you can fit more people in. The goal was just to be in and out as fast as possible. I suppose. I don't... It was... There were not that many urinals at T-Mobile Park earlier this week. It was like eight, I mean, and a lot of people are waiting. They are not getting people in. I'm sure Steve Ballmer has been there, and he's been like, look, not in, not in my arena. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like this. What What do you mean? Because he's... You're not familiar with this? That Steve Ballmer loves to brag about the number of of urinals and other you know bathroom facilities throughout the new arena the Clippers are building. They're, just, they're everywhere. 
because the idea is they w- don't want people stuck in the bathrooms outside of timeouts. They want people back in their seats and cheering. I mean, that's kind of genius. It is. Right? I agree. What about concessions? I, I assume they're all going to be walk in, walk out. Wow. Steve Ballmer probably has some connections with Amazon. I would imagine he could figure that one out. This is kind of genius here, right? Yeah. You like to talk about ingress and egress, right? Oh, I love a good ingress and egress. <laughs> we were walking out of the stadium, and you're like, are we talking ingress and egress here at the Mariners game? And I'm like, I guess we are. The right field egress. It's not great. Terrible egress. It's not great. Uh, I, I love that. I can't specifically think of a trough, but I'm sure that there is one. Well, you know, this is where we put the the power of the listener to work for us. If you remember peeing in a trough at a Seattle sports venue. Recently. Not remember historically. At a current sports we venue. We all remember historically. Oh, Fond I... memories. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make it like that anymore. <laughs> no, I went to Renton Memorial Stadium, the the high school football stadium. Oh, in did downtown you? Renton. Yeah. I I've drove past that on Friday night. I've been there the last two weekends. On. Baby Fantasy Genius scored a touchdown. Oh, that's where his games are? Only player to celebrate. Yeah, he scored a touchdown. Uh, the, every touchdown is a long touchdown because there's no real marching the ball up and down the field. There's six. And so if you get past the first line of defense, you're good. So he scores a touchdown. I think he's going to go and spike the ball. Instead, throws the ball as far as he can away <laughs> from the game. <laughs> It was a wild move. I was shocked and then danced after that. He said he was going to do the gritty if he scored, but he didn't. It was kind of just an amorphous dance or whatever. Amorphous Midwestern but, dance. But but he threw it as if, you know, sometimes players like throw the ball into the stands when they score a touchdown. Yeah. He did it like that, except there were no stands, <laughs> just the track. Did you ask him about this after the fact? I'd, well, he injured himself during He's bled two weeks in a row. So... I, we were we were just mostly just being like good touchdown, because nice. he was to, he he took himself out of the game. He put himself in concussion protocol. Oh no! They asked him to come back in. He took his flags off. He was once the flags are off, right? That that's like you have your helmet off, exactly, or yeah. something on the sideline. He took his flags off. They asked him to come back in. He was like, nope, I am too injured because his finger was bleeding a little bit. I, I'm not gonna say hundred percent that dog in him, but like. <laughs> Him and Devin Witherspoon are on different percentages of that dog in him, but he did score a touchdown and celebrate. So, uh, it's nice. It's supposed to be nice on Sunday. I may have to come out. All that is to say, no trough in Renton Stadium. Really, Renton Memorial Stadium. Yeah, huh. I would have told you if there was one because we're looking for Seattle's last trough. Search well, for Seattle's I, last. Yeah, trough. I don't think. I don't know that like individual high school venues count. Memorial Stadium would count because they. Like have recent in the, the not so distant past had it's the same as there. Memorial Stadium, huh? It's the basically the same as Memorial Stadium. Yeah. It's the rent version of Memorial Stadium. Yes. But I'm saying that there's you know there's a lot of small high school facilities out there around the Seattle area. I'm sure many of them have troughs. That's I'm trying to think. Not necessarily I do what I'm looking for. Remember, there's a for. place where there's a trough. There's none at, at Husky Stadium anymore, huh? Also, there's only so many high school stadiums in the city of Seattle proper, which was the original question in Seattle. In so. Seattle. So I, I think I probably talked about this. Bathrooms at Memorial Stadium used to be the main stage for Bumbershoot. I didn't even know Bumbershoot was using it this year. I learned that from this listener email. No, they weren't. There was no, there was no concert happening there. You were just able to go in there? I guess so. I didn't go in. So I, I didn't know that this was a thing until I, I got the They email. must have had something going on in there. I don't know. I think they must have had some sort of activation or that's, whatever. That's possible. Um, but Bumbershoot 2000 and 
2007, I want to say, I was writing about it for Seattle Times. There was the Bumber blog on Seattle Times. Tristan Pelton was writing about it. Kate Carcino, not Katie Carcino, Kate Carcino was writing about it. Gaylene McDaniels, all the gang was there, right? We had we had good access for Bumbershoot. I believe this still exists online. We had to drink during the Wu-Tang Clan, who were headlining. Katie had the giant Bob and Debbie camcorder with her in there, because the thing that we were doing at Bumber Blog was we were supposed to be doing like a modern-style blog where we had video. And please, please use air quotes around bo- modern. Exactly. This is 2007. We were using... There weren't camera phones or whatever, but it was basically like it, the experience of what we would now be like live-tweeting it, Right. Or something like that. Instagram stories yep. from Bumbershoot. That was what we were... Wow. With text as well. That was what we were doing. Anyway, Katie goes into the bathroom. There's two stalls next to each other. And I'm pretty sure Keeling was next to each next to her with the bottle of liquor. And then somebody else had like a Diet Coke bottle or something like that. And then Katie snuck the liquor into the Diet Coke bottle in the bathroom at Memorial Stadium. I think this might have been next year. Maybe it was the same year. Kanye and Tribe Called Quest played. And I literally walked in. I think this might have been the same year with with my uh, 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 like publicity pass or whatever. And I had a an actual 12-pack of Rainier into the front. And I was handing them out to people. I was a god down there. <laughs> anyway, those are some Memorial Stadium memories. There you go. There you go. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that we were doing a Let's Remember Memorial Stadium segment. Oh, I mean, I don't that, know when they're going to start construction. I, the amount I of incredible shows that happen. I think Sonic Youth at Memorial Stadium. Like, the amount of shows that happen there. Yeah, the weekend, like, right as he was about to become huge. Yeah. It was great. I thought it was a great setting. Um, to, it was better than being in Key Arena. And you want to know why it was better than Key Arena? Why is that? Ingress and egress. Oh, I agree with that. The ingress and egress. No, it, it, was just, it was so fun to see huge artists and be able to kind of casually walk in. Yep. Right? Where it didn't have to be a big deal. And I think that's what made Memorial Stadium like such a unique place to be for a music festival because it was a stadium with the seating. And you could just go sit high up and have a good view of whatever the show was. Right? See rambling Bob Dylan. After UW had just lost to BYU, and you're so upset about it, and then so go see Bob Dylan kicked a, a garbage can. Different time that they lost to BYU. Oh, this okay. was BYU on the road. Uh, week one, I can't remember. It was it was Jake Heaps who started against them, I believe. Oh yes, I was in Phoenix. Yeah, okay. I went to go see Bob Dylan after, and I just I instead of being like on on the turf or whatever close up, I just went and sat as far away as I could and sulked the entire time watching Bob Dylan. Okay. That's what Bomber Shoot was about. Well, there you go. All right, should we talk about Dame now? Okay. I've actually been way too way too positive on this podcast. It's not how I feel on the inside. Or do you want to do do you want to do your No, no, let, let's just do stupid Dame Lillard for a second. Do you want to do this Q&A style? I I guess so. I mean, I mean, how did we get to this point? Because this feels like this came kind of quickly. There was all sorts of chatter about the Raptors. Obviously, initially in the summer, it was heat, heat, heat. And it, it appeared that after so much time, I think if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said the Heat probably were still the favorites just because I didn't really know where else he wanted to go. And then I heard about the Raptors for a long time. And to yep. me, this morning out of nowhere, Dave Lord is on the box. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty out of nowhere to me too. I mean, 
There was enough chatter that it's not surprising that this happened before the start of training camp. Clearly, the Blazers wanted it done before training camp. We'll see. You know, there's a second trade to be made here with Drew Holiday. It's possible that one also happens before media day on Monday. Uh, but Milwaukee, yeah, that was that was a total wild card. So you did trade grades for this. What what did you grade this for each of the teams without getting too in depth? I give Milwaukee and Portland B plus each, and I gave Phoenix a B minus. From the Portland perspective, why is this a B plus? So I mean, the question that we're never well, the question that we need to know is what they're going to get for Drew Holiday because I think they're viewing this essentially as one combined trade that's going to happen in two parts, and it's what we could get. The Milwaukee draft picks that they got, plus what they can get for Drew Holiday, as compared to what they could have gotten from Miami or another team, that you know they may have had to retrade some stuff in that case as well. You know, and certainly Tyler Hero, if the Miami hadn't already worked that out with a three third team, and I think you know probably part of their view is that Milwaukee, that 2029 unprotected first, that's better than any single pick you could have gotten from Miami because. Given Damian Lillard's age, given Giannis Adetokounmpo's contract, the odds of Milwaukee bottoming out by that point are a lot higher than Miami, given the ability that he'd have shown to kind of pivot over the years. That makes sense. Uh, so if you're Portland now, who, who are the new players who will actually see on the Blazers roster this season? DeAndre Aiden. Okay. So... One of the things I think that is going to happen that's not going to make sense is people are going to be like, wow, they traded Damian Lillard for DeAndre Ayton. Can you believe that like they valued DeAndre Ayton so much? And no, that didn't happen. Two separate trades happened that just had to go together because of the fact that it was the only way that Grayson Allen could get from Phoenix from Milwaukee to Phoenix because otherwise he couldn't be retraded if they were two separate deals. So the Blazers got this, made this trade, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, the picks from Milwaukee, the 2029 first swaps in 28 and 30, which is interesting that now to make a point on this quickly, two of the three team top teams in this year's draft have made trades involving 2030 pick swaps, which is the farthest out you can go. So the Spurs made that trade with Dallas. Okay. Betting that Luca is not going to be there and they're going to be like peaking in 2030. So it's going to be the most valuable pick swap for them. And now the Blazers have done the same thing with Milwaukee. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I feel like no, it completely makes sense. I, but you should make a long-term pick swap with everybody. I mean, like, I don't know about everybody, but yes. There's there's no team that you can look at and be like, in seven years, that team is going to look the same. The amount of shit that could happen in seven years. Right. But teams that currently have a star and are good are probably more likely to make that swap in seven years than, you know, I don't know. Uh, the Pistons. Yeah. We're probably not, not swapping picks with you in 2030. All right. So they make this trade. And then now that we have Grayson Allen, we're going to trade him and Yusuf Nurkic and Nasir Little and Keon Johnson to Phoenix for DeAndre Aiden and also Tumani Kamara, a second round pick this year. So basically, they like they gave up very little of value to get DeAndre Aiden, is my point here. This wasn't like, Oh, DeAndre Ayton's so great. He's the return for Damian Lord. It was like, eh, why not? Yeah, no, I'm. he's probably going to score a lot of points for this team. Yusuf Nurkic doesn't fit the timeline. Ayton at 25 is younger. But the Nurk contract's one of the worst contracts in the league. I mean, it's not big enough to necessarily be one of the worst contracts in the league, but he, he has not 
played well enough and he's not at an age where you would, you know, he has not played well enough to justify it this past season. And he's not in an age where you would expect him to get better at this stage of his career. And the Suns just wanted off. They just didn't want DeAndre Ayton anymore. Basically. It seems like the combination of wanting more depth and just not wanting to be in the DeAndre Ayton business it anymore. It is wild that they could have just drafted Luka. It is. <laughs> the, the, the team that people are like projecting, he's good enough player that teams are projecting in seven years that they won't be good because right. he's gone. DeAndre Ayton ain't part of that radius for anybody. He is not. Uh, well, so to me, when I saw this, it was like, Obviously, I think we have to look at the Dame tenure in Portland. We've already kind of memorialized it. This right. already happened. This wasn't like a... It, it was the final move, but we'd already assumed Dame was gone. There was going to be a different Blazers team. I mean, there was some undercurrent of, you know, the Blazers' preferred outcome would still be Damian Lillard just continues to play in Portland as they develop these young guards and he retires in Portland, etc. But... On the other hand, like that was never going to make much sense once you drafted a point guard who you were as high on as they are in Scoot. So, and it's going to be fun watching Scoot and Shaden, you know, in this young team. Like, it's going to be a fun team to watch. And I don't think like they're not bottoming out. That's part of what getting DeAndre Ayton means. You know, they've still got Jeremy Grant, who they re-signed for five years, one hundred and sixty million. So they could be a competitive team. They could be a playoff team next year. I don't think they can be a playoff team next year. And I don't. They could they be a playoff team next year. I see 25 yes probably not but yeah if, if Scoot takes a step forward in year two maybe but are, are they could they be in the play-in there's they definitely could be in, possibly I think they're going to slow play it I mean we'll see whether they eventually trade Jeremy Grant at some point since he's kind of the last older player in this group to me when I saw it it was Other kind than of Drew like Holiday. if we're being honest that watching Scoot this close will be fun Dame getting traded was actually kind of the end to me. We'll see what happens with the season of my Blazers fandom, though. Yeah. And it was kind of like they had this moment with Dame. They were very good. They were exciting. I cared about the Blazers in a way that I didn't care, haven't cared about any team since the Sonics. And there By wasn't th a window. You know, it was unclear when there was going to be basketball exactly. back in Seattle. By the time these picks, these pick swaps end up happening, there's going to be a team in Seattle and we're going to be annoyed about these pick swaps. <laughs> so, like... It it was it was definitely a like I'm not really thinking about this trade that much from the perspective of what I personally will be paying attention to basketball wise. Effectively, the the usefulness of the Blazers to me personally with regards to professional basketball is done, and it's nice having Scoot close. It'll be fun watching that. By the time the Sonics are back, Scoot will either have not panned out or be a superstar or whatever, and they will be a foil. But I, I just don't, I don't think, I can't imagine caring that much about the Blazers for the next couple of years until the Sonics are back. Makes sense. So, and, and Dame Lillard was somebody who, I was a fan of Dame Lillard as a player, right? As basically, if there were any second coming of Gary Payton, it's Dame Lillard. And that's kind of who Dame Lillard, that's kind of what he represented. He was maybe the most fun player in the league to watch many different scenarios, how he played and having that, being able to watch him in the playoffs, especially some of the games that they played during that tenure was awesome. And he was a fun player. And so I'm happy to have had that in the interim. Look, we'll always have the 2019 playoff run and specifically the 2019 first round. Exactly. City. I mean, that was the greatest professional basketball moment in Seattle since the Sonics moved. And probably you have to go back to 05. Men's professional basketball. Yes. 
I LeBron coming to play here in the uh, But that was terrible. Probably. That ended up being horrible. Like uh, the second pick, not, the was, second pick in the draft got injured for the season, and LeBron. There was an embarrassment to professional. It wasn't professional basketball. It literally was not. It was semi pro basketball. I was going to say not for me, but I waited around for like two hours to write a story about it afterwards. And they put up a and sign that said COVID no Kevin's day. allowed. Um, don't you remember? I do. Yes, <laughs> Kevin Durant was in there already. Um, but the <laughs> it was it was actually like Kevin Ollie was in there. Um, <laughs> I don't think there were any Kevins in there. Sadly. Is there a Kevin Burleson? Yes. Yeah, no, he he was hanging uh, out. Probably not. This is why you couldn't get in, because it was plural. <laughs> but that was an embarrassment for basketball in Seattle, having LeBron come here, being like, this court isn't fit, and then the second pick in the draft being out uh, out for the season. That was not a great moment in Seattle basketball. Fair. It, it happened. So, Damian Lillard, awesome run in Portland. Uh, this makes sense to turn the page. Do you have any other we'll thoughts get from in general about this trade, though? I, I guess, where does it put the Bucks? I'd pick them to win the East at this point. But if Drew Holiday goes to Boston in particular, I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess hypothetically Philly somehow, if he goes to one of those two spots, it could change my mind. Going back, back to Philly, huh? <laughs> that would be quite a like full circle. <laughs> Somehow they could involve Nerlens Noel, who's currently a, a free agent in the trade. Then it would, it would be perfect. Uh, I do not buy Boston. That's laughable. I saw that team play last year. That is not a good team. Yeah, but they didn't have Drew Holiday. Is Drew Holiday that big of a deal? He is like the perfect point guard for Boston because it's, you know they don't necessarily need someone ball dominant, but they need someone who's just kind of like. Be the, you know, the steady presence at point guard, much as Milwaukee did before Drew Holiday got there. How do you think Dame and yeah? I mean, so what's the difference then? It, why does Milwaukee need Dame now and not Drew Holiday? So I mean, a Dame is just really fucking good at basketball. Like Drew's great. He's just better, but he's not a top ten player in the league. And Damian Lillard is. The other thing I think that like people who are down on this for the Bucks, who is down on this for the Bucks? That's probably only my, my buddy Tim Bontemps. Uh Why is he down on it? Because he thinks they gave, he doesn't think that Dame is enough of an upgrade from Drew Holiday. Okay. And my point, my retort to him, which I did not make when we talked about it on the phone, but I've thought more about this subsequently, is that <laughs> the jerk store, <laughs> the, the Bucks' biggest weakness has been close games. Uh huh. Well, guess who's really good at close games? Yeah. Dame Lillard. Dame time. So no, I mean I, that's I, that's what I, I think is going to watch be. the Bucks in the playoffs. Giannis is not a good shooter. His his thing is powering to the hoop, right? That is what Giannis is good at. It is helpful in certain situations, but also you can sometimes look at the Bucks and the floor looks dead. Yeah, they just get stagnant late in games. Sometimes it, it gets real ugly. And with Dame, that is never going to be the case. Also, Dame again, I've completely bought in the Dame hype. Dame's a distributor more than he is a scorer. And I think that he will he will fit really nicely in that role, like being able to play off somebody. It's obviously the best player that he's ever played with. Yeah, he's he's Probably. never had anything the, like that. It's the best player that a lot of people have ever played with. Giannis is you know a top twenty five player of all time. But, but Dame having the ability to have that kind of space, and I do think that there's probably an element like. When James Harden squarely done it unwillingly in Philadelphia, but like James Harden leading the league in assists in Philly, like there'll be some of that I think with Dame. It's just like, wait, I can throw this ball, throw this guy the ball at the rim, and he's gonna go up and just dunk it. 
but you can't double like in Portland they could double Dame, and there's not a lot. Dame Portland was good at surrounding him with shooters generally. No, not really. I feel like they always had like a floor spacing like three or four. Yeah, or but like you think about those good teams had Harkless and Amino. Like they're they're not terrible shooters, but they're not plus shooters. And Milwaukee, like we'll see whether they they can defend well enough if they put Malik Beasley as their shooting guard next to Dame. Probably not. But you know if it's Pat Connaughton, Blazers legend. Oh man, yeah, it's reunited. Yeah. Robin Lopez also a Blazers wow. legend. There. Okay. Terry Stotts is an assistant coach for the for the Bucks now. Wow, just Blazers, not not East, ambiguous Midwest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it's Connaughton, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez around a Giannis Dame pick and roll, yeah, that's gonna be pretty hard to to defend. I think they're gonna be awesome offensively. So, all right, with that, it's time for a turn of emotions. As we get to your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. I was watching the game earlier. And something occurred to me. I fucking hate this baseball team. <laughs> Julio, a.k.a. the human highlight strikeout in a big moment, forgot that the Astros fucking own you. Just some idle talk against the bully who has beaten you up for a decade while meanwhile this awful Mariners organization will hang the banner for being first in the ALS, the latest in the season since 2002. They showed Kellen Aculio and Teoscar talking in the outfield the next inning. Did you see this? Yes. Otherwise known as about 16 strikeouts combined in the series. Had a little meeting of the minds after a terrible Teo defensive play you that ultimately you, ended the game. You might have undersold that. They had seven tonight. They were probably nine tonight. I wasn't getting killed next to They had nine tonight? Yeah, they combined they, nine. They were probably talking about how none of them had ever seen a curveball before the series. Meanwhile, Julio got another chance for redemption in the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes big players have to make big plays, and that seems to have been lost on this current roster. And it won't happen this year, of course, because the season is over. Stupid fans will dream of Pete Alonso or Shohei or Blake Snell, but the smart ones know what to expect. Just prepare yourself. I wish I could boldly predict this to hear the phrase, Robbie Ray coming back is like adding a big free agent because this team is what we thought it was. They're cheap, under-talented, and happy to just be here. On the other side is the Astros. Mariners fans embarrass themselves by booing Jose Altuve all series. But real ones know what we heard when that happened. It had nothing to do with a cheating scandal. It was pure, unbiased envy. For almost a decade of success, hitters who get big hits, an organization that goes out and trades for a Cy Young winner at the deadline, a shutdown bullpen with arm after arm. Literally, they got through players, and I was like, wow, Nares is out. They can't have any more relievers after this. And they still had Ryan Presley left, who struck out Julio on three pitches. So the booze sounded like babies crying. <sighs> oh, boy. Well, I'm mad at we got to the point. I have so many more thoughts on this. We got to the point in the eighth inning where I was screaming at the TV. I have never been like, I didn't think I'm sorry, but Julio has been so bad in the series. It was, he, a, it was he's a rough come series. up in such crucial moments and has done 
absolutely nothing. And that's why, like, you can pinpoint down to these plays. He got bailed out by Gino in the previous inning with the hit, the two-run scoring. It obviously didn't matter in the end, right? But that hit that Gino had. It sure seemed exciting in the moment. No, no, it was definitely exciting in the moment. But when the Mariners are intentionally walking Jordan to get to Kyle Tucker, who is maybe a more terrifying hitter, it's just like... We got to set up the double play. What? You got to set up the double play. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Definitely they, did they not come back to haunt so them in the fifth I mean, Ty France was like an inch away from catching that ball. I thought I thought it was one of those moments where after Julio got mad at Neris, I was like, we've got this. Like, there's so it's, much energy. It could have been like the the fight last year with Jesse Winker. But the Mariners the season. this year are a fucking joke. That's what they are. They are not last year's Mariners. Last year's Mariners had heart. They won those types of games. I, I again, the the... We're getting dangerously into like... We're attributing they, character to things that are actually small sample size randomness. We are getting past small sample size for how bad the Mariners have been in close games. Because I don't we've talked we about this all season that they'll have a huge moment and then blow it immediately after. And that's what they have done over and over and over again. They did it in the Rangers series. They had big moment and then boom, the Rangers come back and score three runs. Like, they have not been able to do this consistently in any way. This team, but that's a, that is a fucking lineup that the Astros have. I agree. The Mariners, if you intentionally walk any batter in the Mariners lineup, I'm going to say Julio as a placeholder for a good player. If you intentionally walk Julio, you've got Cal Rally after him. It's not fucking Kyle Tucker. Tucker. It's not Jordan. Like, that is a real roster. They are not anywhere near the same level as the Astros, top to bottom. Their number nine hitter fucking cranked a homer. And that is not happening for the Mariners. Cobby wasn't doing that. So I, I just, they're not a good enough team. That's what it comes down to. But they also are not even making plays in the moment. And that's what is the most frustrating about it. All of the strikeouts, every big moment. This was in August. They were making those plays, and September came back to reality. And I think Scott Service, he needed a moment. Like, that's what that—he that, should have fucking lost his shit on Monday. I told you that. When Verlander was shutting them down in one of the most important series of, of this season—not one of, in the most important series of the season, it doesn't matter for a manager to get ejected. Literally, there is no punishment. Maybe he's fined a small amount. This is, there's no punishment if Hector Neris did get ejected for the game. Unclear if he did. He did. He did. Yeah. He did. But it was just like they all went oh, out and cool. talked to everybody. Hector Neris is ejected. Great. I he wasn't coming back they, anyway. I just like the bench is cleared way too quickly. No, and the bullpen saying. coming in. It was, just <laughs> it was like, pretty hilarious. Can, some, can we? I I was hoping that I didn't want Julio to get ejected because I laughably thought there was a chance in this game. In hindsight. It would have been way better had there been a fight because at least maybe the team would have had something to rally around. But as it was, it was a pathetic moment for the Mariners. The benches cleared, quote unquote, and then everybody went their separate ways. Scott Service... You know, nobody punched anyone in the John Marzano fight either. He didn't? No. John Marzano turned and punched. Did he? I swear he punched Paul O'Neill. I swear from the catcher position, he got up and punched Paul O'Neill. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> no, check this. I am like 98% The fight of sure. record? <laughs> the greatest fight of all time. <laughs> Jesse Winker, honestly. I like this is still in my search history. <laughs> but the other thing is, Scott Service, it was dead in that stadium in the most important series of the season. Any close play, he should have been up in the umpire's face to try to get some kind of energy into that ballpark. Because as it was, you were just letting Justin Verlander fucking roast you. And it literally was 
The, the, the book is out on the Mariners. It's just throw curveballs. This team can't hit them. But then later on, this was me yelling at the screen. There's like a 98-mile fastball, middle-middle to Julio. And it's like, what are you looking for, Julio? If that isn't the pitch, what pitch are you looking for? Are you waiting on the curveball? Because that is your pitch to hit. Swing the fucking bat. I didn't realize this started, apparently. No punches. That's a punch right there. Are you kidding me? They're on the ground. Hector Nair... That's actually a Julio push. Rodriguez would no, 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 never. That's a punch. Yeah, that's Julio a punch. Rodriguez wouldn't... He's never done that in his entire I, life. I don't really Give me John... I'd rather have John Marzano on the field right now than what the Mariners are throwing out there. At least he had a fucking attitude. That team was pathetic. The, the tail air after it, too. That was just like... That was That was rough. That, that whole half It ended the game because I think they could have gotten it back and had some steam, but that ended the game. Because we still a one-run game until that top half. And the season's fucking over. I can't believe we're going tomorrow and sitting in the J-Rod squad. Ugh. I want to be very careful. I <sighs> like Julio Rodriguez is going to go on to a long and successful career. And there have been, you can look back on so many moments. So many times like he just, might almost make the playoffs. I just finished the Jordan rules where the whole, you know, discussion is, can Michael Jordan win a championship? And why won't he pass more to Bill Cartwright? So like, <laughs> you know, I like to take the long view on things. This, we are in this moment right now. This is the moment that we're in and the Mariners are not going to make the playoffs. But you want to talk we're about We're going to have to go through another fucking offseason of chatter I, about this. I we're going to have to go through an indictment on every single fucking thing that happens because the Mariners didn't make the playoffs. I'm doing the hot takes next week assuming they don't make the playoffs. Wow, okay. Because uh, I have one I have one still queued from earlier that I was prepared to use before before the month of August. They're going to be like, well, getting Marco Gonzalez back. But you want to talk about big time players coming through. One big-time player did come through today. Sam Haggerty was on base twice in two at-bats. Also, when they pinch hit for Haggerty, I mean, I think Mike Ford. Mike Ford was the one who pinch hit for Haggerty, he I believe. Was, yes. And actually, well, he struck out in the first at-bat in a ball. It was close. And then it was I think, a ball. But I think he walked in the next at-bat. He did, yes. So Mike Ford wasn't terrible. But, like, let Haggerty hit. The man's a switch hitter. Also, this fucking... Deep fear facing having a lefty on lefty. It's just like get over it, Scott. What do the stat, the analytics say about that? Do they say that you should cower in fear every time a lefty comes on the mound? <laughs> I, don't, I, think they, I don't recall. Bench I've half seen, your lineup. Seen anything on Baseball Reference with the term cower? <laughs> I mean, that's what. <laughs> no, I think generally it is platooning good, is overrated. Platooning is overrated. Yes, but it's just like Dylan Moore was hitting fifth. Is that, that right? That was a shocking. Did that actually happen? Did I sure dream did that? He, or no, he, he did got, not. He got pinch hit for early. I mean, he but he was fifth in the order. That was your lineup heading into the most important game of the year. The who did the Astros have hitting fifth? Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is hitting fifth. Has he won an MVP? He's definitely has a forty home run season. Maybe uh, even more. We're, you're asking a lot about my baseball the, knowledge. The Rangers have Adolis Garcia hitting lower than fifth. I mean, the thing is, after I all this... I hate this team. They don't try to have good players. The thing, after all this, is the Mariners' playoff odds still at 28%, according to fan graphs. So, Hang the banner. I'm just... 28%. To get our asses kicked in the playoffs? Who cares? Who cares? Jose Abreu has one MVP. So, okay, they had an MVP hitting fifth. <laughs> and how many more. MVPs does Dylan Moore have? He couldn't what? even be the fucking MVP of the PCL. Uh, Haggerty could be though. His numbers they had given a full monster, season. Oh. Monster numbers. MVP for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the scenario. I, 
the the Blue Jays. I don't know if uh, the scenarios are so annoying. I was just like, go in a game. Don't talk to me about scenarios. The Mariners cannot possibly catch the Rangers anymore. They the best they can do them is tie, and the Rangers, the Rangers have the tie break. Anything to play for? The Astros yeah. can catch them for the division. They can, but they're no two and a half up on the Astros. So it's very plausible that by if Saturday they lose a game. Clinched it. Yeah. So, but it's baseball. It's not like it's the NBA where teams tank for sixty percent of the season. No, but it would affect you. I don't know what their pitching rotation looks like going into this series, but you would want to manage that to make sure that your top pitchers are set up for the wild card. Or I guess you don't need to if you've won the West. But I don't know. You still probably would not pitch your top pitchers at that point, just from a health standpoint. The Mariners need to win two more games out of their four remaining than the Astros win out of their three at Arizona. That's the scenario. So, so if the Mariners sweep, they are still not guaranteed to... They are not. What about the Blue Jays? Are they a factor at all? They are... I mean, the the Mariners are two back of the Blue Jays as well. So they... But they the Blue Jays have a four games remaining. So the Mariners would need to a also tiebreaker win... between the Mariners and the Blue Jays? Mariners own it. I mean, in, con, in I don't even record. want them to make the playoffs at this point. I just want to be able to move on with my fucking life. There's a chance that by Sunday I could stop caring about baseball again. And really, it has been exhausting. It, it has. I agree with that. But the thing about baseball I, is I, once you get to the playoffs, Isolatedly, the worst month of my entire life was August because it made me care about the Mariners again. <laughs> <sighs> Anything else on the Mariners? It's going to be such a long offseason, too. Just, I can't even... This is like... It is going to be the most annoying offseason. Last offseason, we thought that was annoying. Just wait until Shohei is a free agent, and look, everybody thinks there's a chance that we're going to sign him. We need to look up what guy hit 220 this season. It's going to be like, there's going to be a free agent. Love. But that's the thing. You can't even look for free agents because they don't even sign those. It has to be somebody who looks, yeah. Yeah, who's coming, going who gonna... into the last year of their contract, hit 220, maybe was slightly good like three or four years ago, but they'd be expecting a bounce back from You could find it. They'll be trading Marco Gonzalez for him. This is a little bit like the Seahawks got into this. All of a sudden, Luke Jokel. <laughs> you talk yourself into, who is the big right guard that they had? Fluger? Yeah, TJ. He was not bad, but. Yeah, he was fine. Well, let's get into the roundup. He was like the Colton Wong of players. Because it turns out it's hockey season. Oh, God. The Kraken opened the preseason Monday with a split squad. Speaking of like baseball, split squad games against the Calgary Flames here and in Calgary. They won 5-3 in Calgary behind a pair of goals from newcomer Kyler Yamamoto. Well, they lost in a shootout at home. Uh, the Kraken will host Vancouver on Thursday and Edmonton next Monday as they continue preseason play. <sighs> Sounders got a needed 2-1 win last Wednesday at Colorado. They scored the first two goals with Leo Chu finding the net in the first half and Albert Rushnak scoring early in the second half, assisted by Christian Roldan, who made his first start since July 15th and played into the 65th minute in his first extended action since recovering from a second concussion this season. The Rapids clawed one back in the 80th minute and things got a shaky after that, but the Sounders were able to, able to see out the three points as part of a five-match undefeated streak and had the edge again in expected goals 1.3 to 0.5. The Sounders are now 6-1-5 this season in matches Roldan has played, averaging 1.92 points per match. They are 6-8-4 in matches without him, averaging 1.22 points per match. So, clearly a totally different team when they all rolled on in the lineup. 
Christian, obviously, in addition to Alex. They now have an identical record to LAFC, are two points up on anyone else uh, as those teams are tied for second in the MLS Western Conference. And after a whole season where it seemed like the Sounders had played more games than anyone else after City Out last week, and finally that is not the case, no teams left have games in hand. After a week and a half break there in Nashville on Saturday to face a team that has slightly more points per match this season, but sits seventh in the loaded Eastern Conference that is dominating MLS this season. Nashville lost to Inter Miami in the Nations League final. German midfielder Hani Mukhtar is tied for the MLS lead with 15 goals. Uh, probably the biggest Sounders news since this match was they unveiled a new logo on Tuesday ahead of their 50th Hello. anniversary season, highlighting their NASL roots beginning in 1974. The Space Needle, Seattle's iconic Space Needle, there we go. remains featured on the Simplified Crest, but I like the secondary marks as well. They, got, they brought back the Orca that uh, harkens back to the uh, USL Sounders days, the minor league Sounders days. That's, you know, what we sort of grew up with to the extent that we we followed the Sounders at all at that point. Uh, they have added a, a teal kind of color to go along with the traditional blue and green. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's more, I don't know if it's teal necessarily. It's a little more blue than, than the Mariners teal for sure. But uh, I endorse all around. All right. 100% endorsement. Yeah. Uh, Hani Mukhtar is like an, the example that any random German player could be a good player. <laughs> <laughs> the, there was a Men in Blazers thing about uh, who is the German player that they got? Julian Green? Yeah, Jul- Julian Green. Julian Green, uh, that they have a whole trout pond of Julian Green. I think that was their manager said that. Oh, was it, yeah. <laughs> was it Jurgen? The other Jurgen said that? Yeah. Jurgen Lowe? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that was it. It's like we've got a whole pond of julian greens it's like yeah i mean <laughs> it's not wrong it's not no turned out certainly in that case uh he's actually been at at nashville for quite a while but like goals in about half of his match in literally half of his matches 103 appearances 56 goals and then was it Brondby in a danish club beforehand it's just like you could be just a guy in europe but in the united states in the MLS, not the United States, because also Canada, uh, and soon to be Mexico. Uh, in MLS, <laughs> you could be the leading scorer. Uh, you are paying attention to what we talk about here. Oh, Rain, we missed this one last week. After losing her starting job to Claudia Dickey, goalkeeper Fallon Tullis Joyce completed a transfer to Manchester United for 160000 plus additional performance bonuses per ride of the Valkyries, which is a new NWSL record for a goalkeeper. Tallest Joyce was the Reigns' all-time leader with 13 clean sheets over two-plus seasons in Seattle. Uh, after the international break, it's a crucial matchup Sunday for the Reign against the North Carolina Courage, who enter one point ahead in the standings with three matches apiece remaining. Courage actually have the second-best goal differential in NWSL, but have struggled on the road where they've taken just nine points from nine matches. You know men's soccer. Their strangely up-and-down season continues. Hello. The Huskies lost 3-2 at Crosstown rival Seattle U last Thursday, giving up the winning goal in the 85th minute, but returned to home turf, made that long trip back to Husky Soccer Stadium, to beat number 5 Portland 3-2 on Sunday. They dropped two spots to number 22 in the standings, one spot ahead of Seattle U, which is new to the rankings. Is it still a Derby match if it's in college? I think that counts as a Derby. There we go. I'll call that a Derby. Huge Derby match victory. 
Uh, apparently, they play for the Pete Fewing Cup, named after the longtime Seattle U manager who retired, I think, last season. Uh, the last trip through the Pac-12 continues with a home I game I meant the Saturday. victory against Portland. Against Oregon. Oh, oh. No, Seattle U is... I, I don't know if that's a derby. You don't think Portland is a derby? If you if you can play against teams in Seattle with no longer... It's got the complicated rules of derby matches. <laughs> I agree. In, in MLS, no, you, if they put another... on the West Coast, you think is a derby match. But here, Portland isn't? Well, that's, that's the NWSL, where San Diego is definitely a derby. The hated wave come through. No, but if they put another MLS team in Seattle, which would be a bizarre decision... Then clearly the derby would be between the two of them since that doesn't exist. It's Portland and Vancouver. They should probably maybe put more multiple teams in the same city. It, it would really it would spice things up I just for say. having derby matches. Yeah, I mean once you get promotion and relegation, perhaps. But so that's Portland, why Portland two, does that's, not count. That's the Portland the, Pilots. The Pac-12 and Mountain West is going to have two teams in Corvallis <laughs> <laughs> for derby matches. I'm for it. <laughs> as long as it's happening in another conference. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what is happening. I have no idea time. what's happening in those other conferences well, over there. Here in our conference, things are very nice. Let's get to UW football. Wow, already? Yeah, I mean, what are we going to get a lot of men's ba- UW men's basketball news this week? Okay. All right. We'll, we'll report back on Wilhelm Breidenbach. <laughs> oh. It's There's actually, always... we're getting into Breidenbach season. <laughs> Breidenbach, we're in Breidenbach we'll territory. Kevin <laughs> uh, DeBoer optimistic that Jalen McMillan could return this week after missing last week. Uh, obviously, the Husky passing game really missed him a lot mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, Huskies are headed to Arizona on Saturday for their first Pac-12 road game of the season. It's the third year in Tempe for Jed Fish, who got a contract extension after leading Arizona to their most wins since 2018 at 5-7. and seven. After going 1-11 in his first season as head coach, taking over for Kevin Sumlin, one of the other Kevins who was in there. Arizona hasn't <laughs> appeared in a bowl game. <laughs> Since 2017. Rich, so you're telling me this is the fucking racket that college football coaching is? Jed Fish went five and seven. Yeah. And got a contract extension. That is correct. I why am I not a college football coach? <laughs> I mean, I don't think the hours are very good. I don't what do I need hours? I'm a music manager. Do you think the hours are good? Yeah, but you have to be in the office when you're when you're recruited and coaching. You do have to be. I'm, I miss going to an office. In fact, I would totally be willing to go to an office three days a week no, to be a college football coach. If you were at coaching least. at UW, you could do the Sark move and commute via boat. There we go. Even better. I think Coach Pete may have done that a little bit as well. Contract extension. Ooh, five and seven. Uh, Arizona hasn't appeared in a bowl game since 2017. Rich Rodriguez this last year as head coach. There is realistic hope of breaking that streak this year with a 3-1 and one start, including a 21-20 win in their road opener at Stanford. But the schedule is daunting. They play ranked teams each in the next four weeks. Arizona's lone loss thus far came at Mississippi State, a 31-24 loss in overtime. Uh, the big storyline Saturday was Jaden Delora leaving the game with an ankle injury late in the third quarter. Sophomore Noah Fafita, who had previously only played in mop-up situations, led a game-winning touchdown drive in place of Delora, completing all four passes he threw for 47 yards. No word yet on Delora's status for this Saturday. 
he was 14 of 26 for 157 yards and a touchdown in that game. So not very strong. That's Noah Fafita? No, that's Delora. Delora. Yeah. Okay. Fafita only threw four passes late in the game. So last Saturday, Jane Delora was 14 for 26 for 157 yards. Yes. Wow. The WSU transfer completed a career high 70% of his passes thus far, albeit for similar yards per attempt, 8.6, is last year when he completed just 62.5% for more yards per completion. Interceptions, still a bit of a bugaboo for Delora. He had 13 last season, had four in the loss at Mississippi State. Because of those and the strength of schedule they've played thus far, Delora just 10th in Pac-12 QBR after finishing 7th this year. Fish said this week he needs to do a better job of getting the ball out quicker. I just, the Wazoo fans were upset when Jane Delora transferred, right? I mean, I suppose so. I remember it being like, wow, we can't even have Jane Delora. And then Cameron Ward comes in and is way was, better. Was Ward already there? Had he already announced his intent to transfer there? I don't I Because he I followed know. his offensive coordinator there. Ben Cameron Arbuckle. Ward did? Yeah. He was at... No, I. it was... I want to say like Houston Baptist? No, it was somewhere with a hilarious name. <laughs> the, hilarious. The, the College of the Incarnate Word. Okay, that sounds like it could be, right? That seems very plausible. Isn't that what they go by? The College of the Incarnate Word? I, I don't know if they're like the University of the Pacific. Uh, but yes, he did play at Incarnate Word. You're correct. I mean, that's definitely a situation of... of leaving Maddie Healy and ending up with Travis Kelsey for Wazoo. Like, that is such an upgrade. Either quarterback is throwing... Musically, too, somehow. I, I agree. Either quarterback... <laughs> Have you ever thought about the similarity between the Kelsey Brothers podcast scene and us podcasting? And this podcast? Yeah. Have you ever thought of us as the Kelsey Brothers of Seattle? Because I definitely have. No. <laughs> <laughs> We can't play each other in the Super Bowl unless we were teams face each other in the oh, fantasy football oh, championship. I thought you were, no, I was just saying like they couldn't search for Seattle's best something. Those Kelsey brothers, they, they're just not great at it. At I guess the they're searching for Cleveland's best. I don't, I don't know how much time they're spending back in Cleveland. Are, the are they from the Cleve, not they the Natty? Yeah. Wow. They, they played college football at Cincinnati. But they're, they're from, from the, the Cleve. Cleve. Okay. Brian Matoris was breaking it about it on the podcast. The, the Kelsey brothers being from the Cleve? <laughs> well, just Travis. It was someone else. Jason wasn't mentioned. I mean, he's not in the news quite as much. <laughs> Either Arizona quarterback is throwing to a talented group of receivers led by sophomore Teotora McMillan, who has a team-high 341 yards. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> And three touchdowns. McMillan had seven catches for 132 yards and two touchdowns at UW last year in the high-scoring 49-39 Husky win. While Jacob Cowing had seven catches for 94 yards, Dorian Singer had six for 99. You didn't see any of this because you were in the stands watching I did, the Mariners could not even game of all tell things. you this. I was like, I do not remember this 49-39 game. <laughs> yeah, all, almost all the scoring happened after you left. A lot of it happened after I left, even. Uh, Singer is now at USC, but Cowing leads the team with 20 three catches, albeit for fewer yards than McMillan. Uh, running backs Michael Wiley and Jonah Coleman have 176 running yards apiece, but Coleman's have come on half as many carries as he's averaging 8.8 .8 yards a pop. Wiley also left Saturday's game at Stanford due to injury, and Coleman had 12 carries for 75 yards in that one. Uh, Arizona had five sacks on Saturday. Taylor Upshaw has three and a half this season. Jacob Manu has three 
So that's something to watch, although obviously the Huskies have been very good at avoiding sacks. Michael, Pe- Michael Penix Jr. has not been sacked since, I believe, was the opening drive of the season against Boise State. That was the last time he was sacked? Yeah. Wow. We were so down on everything. <laughs> <In that> drive. <laughs> uh, we saw the darkness on drive. <laughs> no, he, he threw an interception. I forgot to say all the Mariners, by the way. What I was going to say is... Hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh, we've seen more than the darkness. Uh, it's, it's gone. We're involved in darkness. Uh, Arizona has not come up with an interception yet this season. Tucson has not been the house of horrors that Tempe has been necessarily for the Huskies. They've won their last three trips there, including somehow in 2021 under Jimmy Lake. <laughs> their last loss came in 2014 in Chris Peterson's first season on Montlake when you'll recall they fumbled trying to run out the clock in a situation where they maybe could have taken a knee. That was that game. That was that game. Yikes. Remember watching it at the famous cousin Katie's house? That, I mean, that's good to hear because to me, it's general all of Arizona. The, the desert. I yeah. mean, I think during the Steve Sarkeesian era, that may have been the case. The whole desert was bad. Yes. Uh, uh, they did not win there, I believe, in Sarkeesian's entire tenure. I mean, they only played there twice, 2012 and 2010. This doesn't sound like, basically, your description of Arizona. They seem like a pretty good team. They're pretty... I, I mean... In a normal year, I think they would have a pretty good chance of finishing like seventh in the Pac-12. This isn't a normal year. It's just surprising to hear all of this about Arizona. Their record, I mean, they're, I, I get it. Stanford's not a good team or whatever, but like they, they have played pretty well this season. There's the injury to their starting quarterback. To beat 18 and a half point favor or underdogs at home, that is a huge line in my opinion. And is it just UW is so good? I think that's a lot of it, yeah. That even even an average team, and I think UW might be one of those teams that betters are like, we're just going to be pounding them right now I because mean, this offense keeps scoring. We keep saying these lines are too high, and then they keep demolishing them. So I don't know what to tell you at this point. Did they? Did they demolish the line on Saturday? I guess they won by 27. Yeah. I don't know what the spread was, but. Uh, I think it was around 20. <laughs> these are huge spreads. I agree. <laughs> It's just funny because if you pay, I basically only pay attention to spreads in the NFL, and these would all be the biggest spread of the entire year. Well, yes, in college sports, as it turns out, there's a lot more teams. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> you uh, don't even have a salary cap. I this one, maybe I'm a little nervous about this one. I have a healthy amount of nervousness. I I appreciate appreciate that appropriate fear. I think ultimately what it comes down to is it seems like Arizona is going to score a little bit. UW defense has been, honestly, I thought Cal did a fairly nice job offensively against the UW defense in a couple of moments, aside from the horrible turnovers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like Arizona is going to move the ball. They're going to score. It's really just about, can they actually stop this UW offense? And if Cal last week couldn't, given how good of a defense Cal is probably, Arizona absolutely cannot. So, you know, turnovers played a factor in the 59 points. The punt return touchdown played a factor in those 59 points. I think UW could score 59 again or more. I mean, I, I, I don't know. They're, they're going to run up against some tough defenses at some point. But not this weekend. Arizona does rate better than Michigan State in FPI at this point, as well as Boise State. But that's also, those two teams have played UW already. 
<laughs> that's part of why they rate as poorly as they do. They've had the misfortune of playing you I mean, isn't that kind of part of it? That's not not part of it. I mean, Michigan State, I think, is a legitimately bad team. But who knows what kind of team they would have been in a normal season, obviously. <laughs> uh, Mel Tucker was fired officially on Wednesday. So percentage chances of victory here? I'm going to go like 80, 84%. It's still <laughs> high. There's still a very, I can recognize that there is still a very high chance of winning this game. I like but... your commitment to not rounding these. I'll go 85%. Wow. I mean, this is also just like, just take care of business this week. I think that's a little bit a part of it. I There's so few games and it's still so early in the season that I can't really imagine the Huskies getting complacent. Right. Especially going into a bye week. Exactly. But if there was ever a week when they were going to, I do think Oregon being on the horizon, the bye week, everything, you're playing, it's not going to be that hot since it's nighttime. Uh, I but, didn't look at a forecast. Uh, Oregon is at Stanford, by the way. This weekend? Yes. Okay. So if those two teams take care of business. Does Oregon also have a bye? They also have a bye. Wow. Okay. So it will assure if they win this weekend that those two teams will be undefeated going into their matchup oh my God. on October 14th. If if the, if those two teams are undefeated and they play each other, is it the biggest game at Husky Stadium? Let's just say the new Husky Stadium. It, it's easily, right? Probably. I mean, what's the what's the biggest currently? You'd have Stanford in 2016? I guess so. I was thinking that USC game that they lost because game day was there for that one too. But USC had already lost that season, right? Whereas we thought that Stanford was really good. That was kind of when we realized, oh, hey, this UW team might be legit. Didn't we beat Stanford by like 30 points? Oh, yeah. I think like shut them out, didn't we? It is a high of 91 on Saturday, but uh, by 7 p.m. down to a balmy 80 degrees. That'll be fine to play football in that. Yeah. I I think, I mean, that's UW Oregon if they are both undefeated. It would probably be the biggest game that UW has played. Since the 90s. Well, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. They haven't had a number one vote since the since the 90s. But what about like the Miami game? I mean, maybe was, not if you're saying that the fact that it's Oregon factors in as well. Yeah. It's just everything. Yeah. It'd be a big, big game. I mean, that, that game could influence who's... Obviously, USC is out there. It wouldn't be impossible. Utah is out there. Oregon's, I, mean, I guess Oregon State is less out there. Washington State is out there. Yeah, there's a lot of teams. It wouldn't be impossible for there to be two Pac-12 teams going to the college football playoff. I wouldn't rule it out. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't rule it out. If there were two teams, let's say that Oregon's only loss was against UW. I think it would have to be a team that lost a tiebreaker and didn't play in the Pac-12 championship. The second team. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, whoever wins the Pac-12 championship and the team that gets left out. Let's say that you... This is a, a, and, and We can call them the Alabama of the Pac-12. How about let's look at it negatively but still positively for UW. Oregon beats UW. Oregon goes to the Pac-12 championship. Maybe Oregon just goes to the Pac-12 championship and wins. Beats USC. They're undefeated. And they're in. They would be in, obviously. There's still a pretty good chance that UW would go if, if that was the scenario. I mean, you know, it has to be USC in that case, right? Yes, but that would be the reason that USC wouldn't go. Also, yeah, I yeah, that know. would be that would be the UW beats USC. 
USC loses to Oregon, so they'd have two losses, and they would have lost to the two other powers of the Pac-12. I think that I think that in that scenario, both teams go. If there is a one-loss team or two one-loss teams in the Pac-12, I think there's a chance. Well, long ways to go to get there. That's <sighs> that's the thing we don't need to worry about yet. Let's worry about the Seahawks on Monday Night Football, heading across country to face the New York Giants. Uh, so we'll start with some injury news for the Seahawks. Jamal Adams set to return this week, barring a setback with no restrictions, according to Pete Carroll on his weekly show Monday on Seattle Sports 710. Said Reek Woolen has a good chance to play after missing last week. His fellow cornerback Trey Brown is in concussion protocol. Daryl Taylor also left Sunday's game with a shin injury too early, it seems like, to say on his chances of playing this weekend. That was something we didn't really talk about much on that recap pod was uh, a lot of injuries on both sides in that Seahawks-Panthers game. Yes. Aside from the second half in Arizona, the Giants have been outscored 90-12 this season. <laughs> they lost their home opener on Sunday Night Football 40 to nothing to Dallas in a driving rainstorm, then trailed 20 nothing at halftime to the presumed lowly Cardinals before exploding in the second half for a 31-28 comeback win. Without an injured Saquon Barkley that did not carry over in a 30-12 loss at San Francisco on Thursday Night Football last week. The Giants are 29th in offensive DVOA, 30th, 31st on defense after finishing 16th and 30th last year when they made their first playoff appearance since 2016 and beat the Vikings in the wildcard round. Uh, a really thrilling moment on Netflix's quarterback before getting blown out at Philadelphia in the divisional round. The Giants during that season lost 27-13 in Seattle in Week 8. Another one where I'm just like, that was a game I was at. <laughs> it was kind of distinctly unmemorable. <laughs> I would agree. Daniel Jones, 26th in DVOA plus CPOE composite after finishing 12th in his breakthrough campaign that earned him a new long-term contract. Jones has already nearly thrown as many interceptions with four as he had in all of 2022, totaling five. His completions are going for just 8.9 yards per piece, down from 10-plus every previous season of his career. And he hasn't been quite as effective as a rusher after rushing for 708 yards and seven touchdowns last year. Before Thursday Night Football, we learned Saquon Barkley has a high ankle sprain. He's probably going to be a game-time decision on Monday night. He's been called day-to-day. Saquon scored two touchdowns against the Cardinals, but hasn't been a huge factor overall with just 155 yards from scrimmage in two games after averaging 103 per game last season. He's playing this season on a one-year deal after being franchise tag. Without him, the Giants ran for just 29 yards and 11 attempts on Thursday Night Football with Matt Breida getting the start. Of course, Barkley wasn't the only Giants starter missing on Thursday. They also played without two starting linemen, guard Ben, ben Bradison and tackle Andrew Thomas. Brian Dable told reporters Tuesday that Thomas is on track to return this week, Bredesen progressing through concussion protocol and expected to return. Giants are led in receiving by tight end Darren Waller, who's 132 <laughs> yards, ranked 51st. 32 yards. In the NFL. Darius Slayton is the there only There are definitely other... some Dolphins players who have that in a quarter. <laughs> I don't know. They don't usually get that many receiving yards necessarily this year. It's been more rushing yards. Uh, Darius Slayton, the only other receiver with triple-digit yards so far this season. Now, the good news on the defense is it hasn't really regressed because it was never good in the first place. 
Uh, they have just two sacks with Kayvon Thibodeau recording the only solo one, despite frequent blitzing under defensive coordinator Wink Martindale. Defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence, who led the team with 7.5 last year, has not recorded one through three games. Uh, the Giants have a league low tw- two hurries, according to Sport Radar tracking on Pro Football Reference, and they have not forced a turnover yet this season. And despite all of that, somehow it's a pickup. I yeah, seeing that, I get it. They're they're the Giants. It's probably a little bit of they won a playoff game last year. They're going to be overrated because they're in New York. People want to bet on this team. There's still maybe a little bit of a lack of belief in the Seahawks. I don't know. I I don't know how you can get there. DVOA-wise, where do these two teams rank? Or you said the Giants are basically like one of the three worst teams in the NFL. They are 31st. The, uh, so they are the second worst team in the NFL. The Seahawks are, I believe, 14th. I get it. It's early. The funny thing is, statistically, their defense is worse than their offense. And when I when I saw that Thursday night game against San Francisco, I thought their defense looked okay, but their it, offense was terrible. Yeah, uh, their defense it really seemed to struggle to get off the field on third downs due to penalties. They've allowed 10 first downs by penalty this season that's tied for third most in the NFL. I just think maybe they're a really bad team that happened to get... I mean, even statistically, they weren't a good team last year. They happened to get lucky, make the playoffs. They won a playoff game against a pretty historically bad number two seed. And and then they threw a party to celebrate winning a playoff game. Winning playoff game. Sure, I mean... Sounds familiar. <laughs> the... The Mariners did not immediately lock up Ty, Ty no, France. No, that's, that's, that's the difference. The Mariners, we're, we're afraid to spend money. <laughs> so that's something, I suppose. But this is kind of the Giants team that we thought they were. I mean, like, that win that you were talking about last year, the Seahawks had, 27-13. to 13. I don't know if we thought they were going to be this bad. No, th- but they're, we didn't go into the season saying, oh, yeah, that's a good Giants team. We went into the season being like, oh, my God, I can't believe they paid Daniel Jones that much money. Well, they'll get a check to see whether you took the over or the under on them. I think it was... When you're talking this way? Very low. Was it? All right, hold on. I need to, I need I'm to fascinated to see this. But they, they just weren't a good team to begin with. They they ended up being lucky. But that yeah, their line was seven and a half wins. And then... What did I pick? Oh, we unanimously took the under. What? We unanimously took the under. Okay, so thank you. Yeah. So they are what we thought they were, but <laughs> I think there's some wild. What is what is one of the overs in there that, that you're giving a yikes on? Minnesota Vikings over lock. We'll see. I think that Vikings team is still going to put it together. We'll see. All right. We will. We will sure see. Anyway, all their games are televised. They weren't a good enough team last year for me to even remember that game. <laughs> And that's kind of who the Giants were. And I think the Seahawks at this point are playing pretty well, are a deep team, and are actually fairly well positioned to beat this Giants team. Knowing that that kind of blitzing is happening, Geno's able to get the ball out quickly. Geno Smith revenge game? Geno Smith revenge game. He's able, He already got it last year. <laughs> no, more... he wasn't there. Oh, it has to be there at the Meadowlands. Yeah. That's where the revenge happens. Yeah. Uh, but... He'll be able to get the ball out quickly. They've been really good at using the tight ends this year. Uh, they were able to use Ken Walker out of the backfield. It's just like, blitz us, motherfuckers. Do it. With this defense coming back, if you talk about 
I am so hyped on the secondary. This has definitely been the Devin Witherspoon hype train week uh, across the board. Dangerous. Dangerous levels of Devin Witherspoon. That's the thing. The stuff that Devin Witherspoon is good at is replicable. It's not like there's nothing. Uh, Again, 100%. He's he's also still a rookie. That dog in him. There is no doubt about that. (laughs) And that is the kind of defense that I think Jamal Adams was a player who we haven't seen Jamal Adams be healthy all that often. I think the assumption that he's going to be the same Jamal Adams that he was in his first handful of games with the Seahawks is probably a little bit far-fetched after missing so much time. He's also going to be playing a different role. You know, I don't think he's going to be out there as starting strong safety. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of him as a linebacker in sub-packages. I think that's going to be awesome. And, and that was kind of the thing that we liked about Jamal Adams is his moving at a different speed than everybody else in the field. And if you have Requel and back... You have Devin Witherspoon. You have Jamal Adams. This all of a sudden becomes a pretty fast defense and a pretty hard-hitting defense. Those players make up for some of the lack of that that's happening at the linebacker position, the pass rush. I saw Jaron Reed in those PFF grades. Jaron Reed played a monster game last week. No question. Seahawks sacked uh, Daniel Jones five times last season. He was 17 of 31 for 176 yards. So if they're able to get any kind of... I just... Almost every team in the league, I would I would approach this and say they're going to score on the Seahawks. Right now, you have a couple of weeks in a row of some pretty solid defense overall, and you're getting back. Presumably, we know we're getting back Jamal Adams. You know that you're getting back, or you assume you're getting back Reek Wollen. That's a that is a pretty solid defense. It might make the pass rush look a little bit better, uh, and the pass rush is still getting comfortable. You know, Boye Mafe had. Uh, a big play on Sunday if Daryl Taylor is healthy. I just don't see how the Giants are going to score in this game. And I think I think we we're going to leave this game. I just I would love to, I I didn't see any of the second half of that Cardinals game. I was sitting in a bar in Detroit after the Seahawks Lions game. I think they looked good for a period of time, but also the Cardinals were as of that game, people assumed that they were the worst team in the NFL. I I definitely think that assumption is out the window. I mean, they beat the fucking Cowboys. Of course, that assumption's out the window. <laughs> I mean, I think even by that point, that assumption was out the window because the the Bears were. <laughs> yeah, because somebody else was that bad. But I don't think you can look at one half of one game and ignore the other I just five am curious how the fuck it happened. Because they look at their stats and like they have no receiving yards. Like how how did this possibly happen? I don't know. I had it on red zone, but I wasn't paying a ton of attention. So. I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. I think we are going to leave this game, and collectively the NFL is going to say the Seahawks are a contender in the NFC. And as we've talked about, you know, repeatedly, look, the schedule is what it is in the back half of the season. The NFC West, to the point your point about the Cardinals, no longer looks well. The the Rams. Uh, when they play against defenses we'll that are not the Seahawks. We'll see. Look less good, although Cooper Cup will be back at some point. But the Cardinals no longer look like the pushovers we kind of thought they were coming into the season. So the Seahawks need to bank these wins. Daniel Jones, nine carries for 59 yards and a touchdown in that one. I guess that was a big factor. So I think there are some games on the schedule that look easier than maybe they once did. Like the Bengals, that game... Yeah, it's, it's I mean, the it right, how healthy Joe Burrow is by that point. They're playing the Bengals at the right time. The Browns look pretty scary. Washington is such a wild card. 
and even Dallas, you know, like last weekend, it looked like you're playing the three best teams in the NFL in consecutive weeks, Niners, Cowboys, Eagles. I don't think you could say that anymore. I'm not going to read too much into that Cowboys performance. But you you wouldn't automatically put them as one of the three best teams in the NFL. Well, no, because the Miami Dolphins now exist. Exactly. There are other teams. Like the Cowboys probably slot behind Miami, Buffalo, teams like that. Obviously, Philadelphia and San Francisco still are, but... But the three best teams in the NFC. I don't know if that's a guarantee at this who, point. Who else is even in that conversation? You're looking at it. Oh, the call is coming from inside the house? I mean, <laughs> that win against okay, the well, Lions. Okay, well, you can't play yourself. That win against the Lions. Well, maybe they are playing the three best teams in the Lions or one of them. Also possible. The way that they they comfortably went, I still believe in the Cowboys. I want to be clear. I'm sure that the Cowboys, the Cowboys will be a good team. But like, the win against the Lions was a very big win. It was, and the Seahawks have played somebody. They had a nice win against the Panthers, and I think we will leave this game with the Seahawks at three and one, and people saying, "Wow, that defense is fixed, and the offense is steady," and whether that's going to last long term, or the Giants are just really bad. We will see, but for the moment, I think we're gonna we're gonna be here on Tuesday feeling good about the Seahawks. So after you declare this, what are your percentage chances of victory? Oh, I think it's like a sixty-eight percent chance, <laughs> something more. Pick'em is not right. I, this should be the Seahawks should be favored by two points. I agree. Uh, I would have it at sixty percent. That's that's as optimistic as I can get. So it'll be interesting to see Seahawks on Monday night. And the return of Jamal Adams for the first time in a very, very long time. And he won't be distracted by the Mariners season by that point. <laughs> Thanks. Good news. <laughs> good news. <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.